0: I've used the first-class terminal, and uh, again, I'm just—I'm using this podcast to out myself, right? I'm supposed to be a professional journalist. I've done that thing where um, you are really transferring in, in Frankfurt, but you go through passport control, you enter the country, you walk outside, and then you walk uh, into the first-class lounge uh, to make sure that you're driven to the airplane.
1: This is Up in the Air, a show about travel adventures frequent flying, and the unique experiences we have along the way. I'm Ian Agrimis, and in this episode, I spoke with Brian Summers about the power of airline loyalty programs, getting into the Lafonza first-class terminal, and how some airlines are being a bit dishonest in the wake of the pandemic. Before the pandemic, we took air travel for granted. Catch an Uber to the airport and you could wake up on another continent with little to no hassle, especially if you were flying in a lie flat bed. The immensely complex and interconnected aviation industry is what makes that happen, and few people understand it as well as Brian Summers. Brian is a senior aviation business editor for Skift, and in our conversation he made it clear that we should adjust our expectations dramatically when we start flying in a post-pandemic world. Now I'll openly admit that I developed a passion for aviation at the expense of more normal character development, and that made this a really fun conversation as Brian shares that passion. We discussed a lot of these topics in digestible terms for non-industry folks, and there are some pretty funny stories about the crazy things we do to satisfy this crazy hobby. Just as a quick heads up, I had recorded this interview a few months back, and it sounds a little different than what you may be used to, so thanks for bearing with me. Anyways, speaking of this crazy hobby, I asked Brian if I should be worried that my airline miles would be liquidated in the event that one of these airlines went under.
0: I had to go way back in history for this, but like the last time that well-known US airlines went under was about 30 years ago with Pan Am and Eastern. And points programs were not even as big of a deal then as they were now. Um, But I've learned, I did not know this because I was a very small child at the time, but I guess Eastern used One Pass as its frequent flyer program. And we all know what One Pass became. It became Continental One Pass. um, And then it became United Mileage Plus. And like, you know, there's this joke now that the mileage programs are almost more valuable than the airline. And so you could see a situation where, you know, the mileage programs kind of continued even if the airline didn't. That's even just a worst-case scenario. I mean, look, we, we, we've seen this since Eastern and Pan Am. Uh, you know, airlines file for bankruptcy. They're in bad shape, uh, but uh, they reconstitute themselves. They keep flying, and nobody touches the frequent flyer program. It happened with American. It happened with United. All these airlines filed for bankruptcy the program is valuable and the program keeps going. And the airline keeps going after it, you know, uh, erases its debts, its debts and, and whatnot. So you know, we, we just haven't seen an airline completely go put in the United States for a very long time. Not sure it's going to happen here, um, but uh, it's uh, it's not my job to uh, predict the future. Of course, you know, in other countries, it's, it's a little bit different, right? A European airline files for insolvency and it just goes away. Uh, I'm not sure that I would invest in any uh, Italia uh, currency right now. Uh, I don't know what those are called, but probably not the best place to get miles.
1: Aren't they called like Air Miglia miles or something like that? I really hope I didn't just totally make that up, but I feel like that's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's obviously such a bizarre time for them because, and particularly for rewards programs, because they're totally based on loyalty and and actually flying. I mean, the, the value proposition lies in being able to use the points, which I'm sure nobody's doing. You don't want to use the points on a bottle of champagne for your wife? I've always said, you know, you could redeem 300,000 points for some round-trip premium cabin experience, or you could do what most people think is their best option, which is, like, buy a vacuum. That's like obviously the option I try to steer people away from when they when they're asking me uh, what they should use their miles on.
0: Yeah, I think the points and miles game is going to change a lot. I'm not smart enough to know exactly how, uh, but the 2015 to 2019 period that we all sort of really enjoyed, I think it's over.
1: You're pretty bullish on or bearish rather on uh, the value of these programs. So I don't know if I'm bearish. Uh,
0: I mean, there's an argument out there that the miles will will be worth more um, that, you know, these credit card companies uh, for the transfer programs, the credit card companies pay the airlines per per mile that's transferred. And you hear that it's like one point five cents to two cents a mile. And so if you're a cash strapped airline, the first thing that you might do is have some giant amex or chase bonus program and get that card company to pay you for the miles that are coming in the door then of course you have a lot of empty seats um, and you could offer pretty cheap miles tickets to consumers so as long as airlines are in bad shape it's probably going to be a pretty good time uh, to be a hoarder and an owner of miles What I'm not quite sure about is this ecosystem of uh, the points guy and all the blogs that we love to read, um, where they're paying these giant referral fees and stuff like that. And and credit cards themselves become such a giant business. I don't know what's going to happen, uh, but that seemed like a very uh, strong moment in time there that may have passed. I don't know.
1: Interesting. Well, I certainly know from, I mean, my own conversations with people in that world that people are not signing up for new credit cards right now. So it's definitely, I mean, and obviously just the changes that the banks have made as far as trying to add value to people's cards in ways other than travel while you've got people paying who are, you know, on the hook to pay $550 in an annual fee for basically premium travel perks, which you can't even get any, can't get any value out of.
0: Right. But it's hard, right? So, some people never really realized why airlines were in such demand for these credit cards. I mean even Apple, right, came out with a credit card. People love Apple, but the truth is that that credit card was not as popular as some of these air, airline co-branded cards, much, much less the the Chase Sapphire Reserve, and there's just something sort of romantic about air travel and people would dream about it and they would be trying to get as many points as they co- they could in a way that People don't seem to want to do to to save up for an ipad or 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 something like that and so you know yeah like i like my doordash credits or my uber eats credits but that doesn't replace dreaming of going
1: to french polynesia um so i think these card companies are missing out right now yeah that's a really good point so what have you been doing have your have you noticed your spending habits changing as far as which card you're using during this time are you kind of using external factors to value the points differently? And-
0: yeah, I, I take my points seriously, but not as seriously as a lot of people. Um, I have the Chase um, Sapphire Reserve. I, I still, I just, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the companies want you to do this, right? A card becomes top of wallet. And then at some point you get to the point where you're really not worried about which card you're using. That's just the card. It's this card that's saved in anything. And everything, it's the card whose number that you know, and so the points become a, l- a little less important. Uh, so that that's where I am right now.
1: Well, I don't want to talk about the coronavirus's impact in entirety because I know we could talk for hours about that, and obviously there's a Is lot. Is there
0: really anything else to talk about, though?
1: <laughs> well, as you'll find out in my follow-up question, perhaps not so much removed. I, w- I am wondering like, what you've heard from these airlines or what you know about them potentially using this time to accelerate cabin renovations and interiors or ramp up the pace on projects that will make the aviation industry look a little bit different to consumers when they do decide to come back.
0: Yeah, what's the uh, opposite of accelerate, In um, Decelerate? Look, you know, there are some exceptions, but for the most part, uh, there's been a hard stop in cabin improvements. You know, I don't know if you own a house. Uh, you know, I, I own a house, but when you're in financial trouble, uh, you don't renovate the house. And if you're in real financial trouble, you may not fix even the leaky sink that you want to unless you can do it yourself. And that, that's where airlines are um, right now. I mean, airlines, they're, they're very capital intensive businesses, and some of this stuff has already been paid for. Um, so maybe you'll send the airplane um, to get retrofitted in, in Hong Kong or whatever because it's already in the plans. Uh, but there's very little new stuff happening. Uh, so I was just writing a story today where I noted that um, you know JetBlue has made a big deal of its cabin restyling program. Uh, they've done about uh, 50, uh, 50% 50 of their Airbus A320, so that's 65 airplanes, uh, and they have put a hard stop on it. They are done they are finished uh, or at least they're temporarily finished and and I know that people um like uh JetBlue um, but the A320s that they have are the first airplane that they have right they they deliveries were started with the beginning of the airline they haven't received a delivery for years these airplanes are like they're like stuck in time. You, you step on them and they're like early 2000s and they have those big boxy TVs. It's not a good looking airplane um, and they've just decided it's it, it's not the time to do this. Um, you know, Delta did make a pretty big deal recently of the fact that um, uh, they are going on with, I think improvements here in Los Angeles where I live. They've been trying to win the Los Angeles market they have these two terminals next to each other and it's really hard to update a terminal in a place like Los Angeles when you're also trying to use it. So they have been able to accelerate that that uh, that program, but that's really the exception, um, not
1: the rule. Sure, I mean, they spent quite a bit of money putting their new suites into the 777 fleet and then retired them all, is that right?
0: Yeah, that's right. But that's kind of the way Delta rolls. You know, they had spent a lot of money retrofitting their 747 fleet, uh, not to the Delta One suites, but to the, the last version. And they didn't keep them very long um, after that. They just kind of make uh, quick and, and decisive moves. But look, nobody thought COVID was going to happen. I mean, it just, you know, it's that, that proverbial Black Swan event.
1: They were not planning for this. Switching gears a little bit. I- I'm assuming because I know that we're a little bit similar in this way, but I was wondering if you, if you recall uh, the, fir- the first time you flew like international first class, what the product was, how you how you redeemed for it. I guess I'm assuming you redeemed for it. What, what the experience was like.
0: Um, it was uh, the December uh, 2003. Flew United Airlines from Chicago to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to Singapore. Um, had never been anywhere like long haul except for London and had flown coach. It was uh, that kind of older recliner seats. We were on the upper deck of a of a seven forty seven. And uh and my brother actually takes airplanes more seriously than I do, and even though he was younger at the time, he um said that we had to sit on the upper deck. And I said, I'm flying from Chicago to Hong Kong to Singapore. Why would I want to fly on the upper deck? That's like a narrow body experience. I'm going to get claustrophobic up there. And what was this, 17 years ago? He always reminds me that I said that, of course, you want to be um, on the upper deck. Uh, and it was it was a very special um, thing for me. And I, I i am almost embarrassed to tell the story um, because, I, of course, I, I, I care about airplanes. And uh, I was in. I, I I I flew San Francisco, Hong Kong on United uh, in January, also on my way to Singapore, uh, although United no longer flies the Hong Kong. Well, actually, they do fly Hong Kong, Singapore again, but at the time they weren't. And, you know, you, you, this is special stuff for us. And you step off the United airplane in San Francisco and you go to the United Club that really hasn't been updated since then. And it's like you're just like, you have these wonderful memories of that experience. And it really started it all for me um, 17 years ago. And I I just, think it's it's super cool. And I know that long haul travel is going to come back. uh, But it's sad for me that we're in this kind of very short period, where you look at United's long haul schedule, and there's like, there's nothing there.
1: Yeah, it's really bizarre. I mean, considering where we were at just a few months ago to just fall off a cliff like that. It's also so exciting as a traveler to have the options of flying directly to all sorts of places. And we're going to be faced with a lot more layovers in the future.
0: Yeah, it's weird because so I started on this airline beat in 2013. And I thought it was the most amazing thing in the world from the first moment. But I remember speaking to a lot of people at United and other airlines and you remember all these airlines had gone on this global expansion binge like in the 90s and 2000s and they would they kept saying like oh Auckland you know we used to fly to Auckland oh Delhi we used to fly to Delhi it was all these like we used to and by 2019 they had gotten back to everywhere that they had been plus a bunch of other like crazy places like the idea of United Airlines airplane in Papiette, Tahiti and in, 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 in Cape Town and in Chengdu and it's, it's just all gone and some of it will come back and others of it may not come back for a very long time.
1: What has happened with that Cape Town route because I know like United made such a big push about the fact that they were I believe the first American airline to fly to Cape Town directly from the U.S.
0: Yeah, it's a little hard um, to take these airlines seriously. They will publish these schedules or they'll send media a release that says has a bunch of long haul flights and it'll say, um, you know, resumes October 27th, which is like when the IATA schedule starts um, for, for the next version. Uh, But really, nobody has any idea. Um, I'm sure that you can buy uh, Newark Cape Town now in next January or something. But whether it will fly is a completely different story.
1: I heard that some airlines are just leaving flights on their schedule. I'm not necessarily accusing them of deceiving, intentionally deceiving customers, but it's a way for them to generate revenue if they say they're flying to X location in nine months and somebody buys a ticket, you know, that's money that they have.
0: Exactly. And then they if you don't like it, they try to make sure that you take the travel credit and, 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 and not the refund. I did write a story about that. And and, and frankly, I think that some airlines are, are, are being dishonest, not necessarily for flights next January, but you've had these airlines that took forever to publish a July schedule. So they were f- selling flights for next month up until last week that had no chance of happening. They were united with selling like nine or 10 flights a day from Newark to Orlando everybody knew those flights uh, weren't coming back but you know airlines also say look we have these wonderful revenue management systems they usually tell us exactly what demand is so Allegiant said something like this they said that the revenue management systems don't work right now because we don't know what demand is so this is kind of like an old school way to figure out what books if it books well we fly it. If it doesn't look well, we don't fly it. And there's like no other way to know what will sell well unless they put it out there and test it.
1: Do you think that's fair for them to say?
0: Well, one of the reasons that I like listening to the Allegiant Air calls, the conference calls, is because they tell the truth. Uh, You know, corporate America is kind of weird where all airlines have these strategies, but some of them don't really want to talk about them. So at least Allegiant is like yeah. Uh, we sell everything. We look to see what books. If it books well, we keep it. If it doesn't book well, we cancel it. Simple as that.
1: It's nice that they're being straightforward, I suppose. Which airlines or were you going to have status with this year? And obviously many airlines have now extended that to next year. But where, where did your allegiance lie before all this?
0: Ian, I'm, I'm, I'm 37 years old. I have an irrational uh, love of travel. And last year, for the first time in my life, I got United 1K status because I made an unexpected trip to Asia on a very expensive ticket uh, paid for for work at the very last minute. I was so excited. I should have known at the time, right, that if I finally made it after all these years, that something bad was going to happen. So yeah, I'm, I'm United 1K. I've, I've flown on it once it was nice. I got, I got upgraded uh, both ways on a, on a flight to Hawaii. And like, I can't imagine flying United again this year, um, maybe next year, um, but, uh, but we'll see. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of how irrational this game
1: is. Right? We were kind of discussing that before. We had a little issue at the beginning, but you were saying that the last flight that you took was to Singapore in February.
0: I actually went to to Singapore twice. I went to Singapore in uh December um when I got status and then um I went to Singapore again for work in uh, in January and I, I used my uh, my global upgrades, which was nice. Uh, of course, I am I'm, I'm always trying to do um, arbitrage with my flying. Um, and so for the second trip to Singapore uh, had to be done very, very, very cheaply. And at the at that point, um, Hong Kong was a great place. To fly through because it wasn't dangerous. There was no COVID at the time, but you had all these television pictures of geopolitical unrest, including at the airport. But like we're smart people, and after about a week of that, we realized that the Hong Kong authorities had clamped down on that. That it was going to be perfectly fine to transfer at the in in Hong Kong. I was able to do that, but those days are over.
1: If you wanted to go to Hong Kong. I think I saw this photo of this the other day. They basically have, you, they bring you in, they test you on arrival and they put you in what looks like a cargo holding area with desks placed 10 feet apart and they basically just wait for your test results to come back. And if you're negative, then you can leave. If you're positive, what happens then? You gotta really wanna fly a long haul right now. Yeah, I guess. I mean, that sounds terrible to me.
0: I mean, beyond people who sort of missed the repatriation window and have decided like, yeah, I should have gone home to Hong Kong uh, three months ago. I didn't. Now it's time. Like, I can't imagine why you would, would cross borders like that right now.
1: With airlines doing this extension of status, you're 1K. So that comes with, like you said, global upgrades and such. So are you getting double? Because they're giving you what they gave you for this year, and then they have to give you the same benefits they next year? Are
0: not Because I haven't requalified for status, uh, I'm not getting more upgrades uh, for next year. That's only going to the people that requalify. It, it takes a little less now to requalify during 2020, but you have to actually fly the airline in 2020 to get extra Um, upgrades Uh, they are extending the validity of the upgrades so usually they would expire in january the end of january of of 2021 and they've extended those Uh, it's not a high priority of mine right now um and it's weird uh uh, look i've flown uh, you you could tell from my answer earlier like i've flown united since i was a little kid and and I, i i like it um it's not the best airline in the world but i understand how it works and everything but you know COVID is going to change a lot of things and uh, there's going to be sort of a a change in in market share and things like that and it's not clear to me what United's plan is here in Los Angeles and if Los Angeles becomes a spoke for them uh, maybe maybe it's not my airline anymore maybe it's time to switch and I look I hate to say it um, because, again, we all like to be rational. Um, but the idea of switching airlines is kind of scary.
1: There are more important things in the world, I know. but Well, uh, not on this podcast. When you say, and when you say spoke, you're, you're referring to that kind of airline business model where it's like you have the hub with the spokes. And so at the moment, LA is like a pretty major hub for United, and they've got the spoke going out from there. But you're saying they're, they're kind of looking at potentially risking becoming the, the end of that spoke.
0: Exactly. It's uh, It's probably, I mean, United still calls Guam a hub, but it's essentially United's smallest hub. It's lacking in a lot of ways already uh, pre-COVID, but if they shrink it even more, it becomes harder. Um, at least I can fly to London, I can fly to Tokyo, I can transfer from there, but those long-haul flights uh, may not be back for a while and they, they may never be back. They um, United closed the 787 pilot base here. Um, it's not clear if it's temporary closure or if it's long-term, but that's the only wide-body pilot base they have here, which is not usually good if you want to fly long haul
1: from somewhere. No kidding. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's not good. Is there any sort of like actual requirement to become a hub or do they just designate it because they feel they have enough flights? They just designate it. It's a marketing term, I believe. Interesting. They want people to know they have a presence in the South Pacific, so they continue to label Guam that way.
0: Yeah, you know, so Guam actually used to be a fairly large operation. I don't know if you know the history of it. Um, So there was there was an airline called Air Micronesia. Um, And I don't know exactly um, the history, but I do know that Continental Airlines bought Air Micronesia at some point as some sort of investment opportunity. Um, And eventually it became uh, Continental uh, Micronesia. And then it became United. And, you know, over the years, it became smaller and smaller and smaller. But they do have some interesting flights. Uh, Again, they've been cutting it like crazy. So I'm not sure exactly what they have now. Um, But I know they have Honolulu-Guam. They've had Guam-Tokyo. They've had Guam-Shanghai, like all kinds of interesting stuff. And they have that crazy island hopper. Have you ever done the island hopper?
1: No, that's something that's definitely on my aviation bucket list. For those that don't know, why don't you explain what that is?
0: <laughs> I guess it's a flight um, from Honolulu to Guam that makes like five stops at uh, very sparsely populated islands along the way and delivers cargo and the mail. And, you know, United has used it in marketing before of like it's the lifeline for all these uh all these small communities. And my my understanding, Ian, is that, I mean, even now it's still running, there's a mechanic who flies on the airplane uh, just in case, because it's easier to bring your own mechanic than get the airplane stuck there and not have the mechanic.
1: I've heard some pretty quirky things, like some of the places that they land, you're not supposed to take pictures, and, and I mean, you don't get off the plane, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I've never done it. I'd like to do it. Yeah, I think some of my friends at the Point Sky are pretty hellbent on on making it out there uh, as soon as they can. It seems like a pretty cool experience for sure. I'm sure those little islands are beautiful to fly into. Have you ever been to the Maldives? Never been to the Maldives. Flying in there and seeing that unbelievably clear water. It's. I mean, it's pretty unlike anything else. Anything else I've ever seen. That's for sure. Do you have a specific aviation experience that really has really stuck with you or specific experience that you're constantly longing for, be it a seat or cabin that you always like to get aircraft you always want to fly?
0: You know, like a lot of people, I've gotten involved in the points and miles ecosystem, and I can't decide whether the most exciting thing is to fly uh, Lufthansa first class or it's just to uh, get the redemption, right? Because all these things are going to change. But as you know, like the last few years, uh, you know, the only real way to get it was two weeks in advance, but then they weren't even offering it until like a day or two or, or, or three in advance. And so you'd book something else and then you'd search every three seconds to see if it opened up. And that in and of itself was kind of fun. Um, and it's
1: it, it, it's a great product. so Fonza first. Yeah. I've done that twice, both last year, and I know on a very deep level the struggle that it is to get those seats booked. I have to give a shout out to Zach Griff at The Points Guy, because when I was doing my series with them, he helped me, well, he, he entirely handled the booking for one of the trips, which was pretty remarkable. But um, yeah, I mean, it's such a tricky thing to book like in practice, and compared to what You know, yeah, they say it's an option, but it's like virtually impossible. Man, to your point, though, that it's perhaps more exciting to book it than to actually fly. That is a tough one. But obviously, there's nothing quite like walking into that cabin. I mean, it's so tasteful. Yeah, it's
0: not the most opulent cabin, but it's solid. And the ground experience is great. And I I use like these current tense verbs to describe this. I mean, I'm just not sure any of this is going to be the same. Uh, So I say Lufthansa first is great. The ground experience is great. Uh, It was, might be more appropriate thing to say, but who knows?
1: Have you flown through Frankfurt? Have you used the first class lounge there? First class terminal? Yes,
0: I've used the first class terminal. And uh, again... I'm just just—I'm using this podcast to out myself, right? I'm supposed to be a professional journalist. I've done that thing where um, you are really transferring in, in Frankfurt, but you go through passport control, you enter the country, you walk outside, and then you walk uh, into the first-class lounge uh, to make sure that you're driven to the airplane.
1: Yeah, I did that as well. And when I actually realized what was required to do that, for the people who are listening who have no idea what we're talking about, when you fly... Lufthansa First Class, and it's really if you originate in Frankfurt, right? That's what the terminal is there for. Right. In theory, if you are connecting through Frankfurt and you decide, as Brian said, to leave the airport and and clear customs, get a stamp, you uh, then have to basically... I mean, there's. I actually had trouble finding it. You and walk I, through the taxi stand, you know? Yeah, I mean, there wasn't even a sidewalk. I mean, the juxtaposition <laughs> between, like, what i was doing versus like the experience i was going to have was like so stark i mean i was like almost hit by a taxi i went in through i'm convinced it was a side door and i somehow found an elevator and then took it and just happened to like come out in the lobby but basically there's this incredible terminal there for first class passengers only first class passenger security they hold your hand when you go through it and then obviously they have like all the amazing food and amenities that you would imagine from a uh, something like that. But yeah, it's pretty goofy. The, the lengths at which we, we being the crazy avgeek community will go to uh, just have a taste of something like that.
0: But you know, it's, it's um you hear this, it's, it's, it's good business for the airlines. Uh, you know, first class technically has not been a moneymaker, um, but it has a halo effect uh, for these brands and if you're worth half a million, uh, half a billion dollars or a billion dollars and you're flying Lufthansa first class, you're not really going to tell anybody about it. You're not going to blog about it. You're not going to give the airline any marketing for it. You may pay full price for it. But the truth is, is people like you and me that put this stuff up up on blogs, the beautiful pictures, the tweets, the Instagrams, and it gets people excited about flying business class premium economy economy um and so there is that that halo effect
1: for these brands just being associated with the airline in general when they know right. that something like that something so premium exists within it that brings me to a, another explain that gram and the photo i've chosen of yours is actually a photo that you took of of lafonza first class cabin mock-up at Priestman good who make the cabins so i was just hoping you could kind of elaborate on what was going on that day and how you got that photo and what it was like to be, I'm assuming at their office?
0: Yeah, you know, a a, a few years ago, uh, I went to Priestman Goods headquarters in London to write a story um, just about aircraft interiors. And this is a company that airlines hire just to work on their brand. Um, So travelers in the United States uh, may have noticed uh, what's been going on at United over the last, say, five years. Uh, they still essentially have the same branding um, as Continental Airlines. They haven't changed that much, but year by year, they push the globe just a little bit, make it look kind of sharper, more modern. And that work is done by by Priestman Good. So they designed um, the color of the seats and the interiors and things like the, the, the sidewalls and the monuments of the airplane. And they've taken a lot of airlines, uh, South African, United uh, uh lufthansa and just kind of up their game design wise Uh, and you think it wouldn't matter that much uh, but i would say that it does again i fly united a lot um continental clearly did not care about the interiors of their aircraft you know that you go on a lot of these 737s still flying and it's just like they chose the the cheapest option for the interiors and nobody thought so much about design and then you get on a new 777-300, Triple Seven, three hundred, and you can see that that some attempt was made, uh, as, as simple as those uh, the, the the those blue seats um, that are leather, and I don't know that you would say they're sharp looking seats, but for an airline, yeah, they're not bad.
1: I definitely see your point. Priestman Good doesn't make the seats, though. They don't make the seats.
0: No. Um, and in fact, uh, one of the earliest things that they did for United. Um, was uh, very quickly at the end of the Jeff Smizek era, he was the former CEO before Oscar Munoz, United had very quickly um, retrofitted the interior of its Airbus narrow body fleet with one goal. And that goal was to add seats as quickly as possible. All airlines do that, it's no big deal. But the Priestman Good people were telling me that they chose, like, the ugliest gray seats. And, like, there was just no point for that. The seat covers are not expensive. And so one of the first things they did was just recover the seats. And the airplane immediately
1: looked better. Nothing else. Interesting. And Priestman Good, has they must have dozens of airline clients. I mean, their work is is all over the skies.
0: Yes, I don't know if we would say uh, have or had. I mean, you know, the first budget you're going to cut, right, in this situation is your design budget. My guess is their revenue has gone to pretty
1: close to zero right now. Are they involved in other industries or do they just focus on airlines? I don't remember. Okay. I hope so for their sake. Yeah, no kidding. How does it work? Like you were saying, Priestman good, they just do the design. They don't actually build the seats. So you've got these airline seat builders, but I'm thinking particularly like business class and first class seats, obviously. And then Some of the first class stuff is like way more one-off and really, really specific. But in the business class cabin, I mean, there's so much essentially repetition of layout and style. The seats that look similar in layout and colorway and all that is that all is that all done by one company? And just they just say, okay, but instead we want blue armrests.
0: Yeah. How much time do you have? Uh, I think there's about three companies that control. Uh, the the vast majority of the airline premium seat business and Uh, This has probably gone away a little bit, but uh, the last few years, I mean, if you really wanted to hear anybody in an airline talk shit about anyone, it was aircraft seat manufacturers. (laughs) Um, Airlines have never been happy with the seat manufacturers. You had airlines like American suing their seat manufacturer. Look, I mean, over the last five years, we've all seen it. Uh, Pretty much every airline in the world has wanted to update its business class seats. A lot of these companies uh, took on more. More business than they could handle. They had to create seats uh, very fast. Been, there's been some, some shoddy work, um, especially at the, the company known as, or formerly known as Zodiac Aerospace. So they did American, they did Finair, um, they did uh, Cathay Pacific, just a lot of complaints about workmanship and delays and things like that. And then even, you know, talking with, with Priestman Good about it, these manufacturers, even the better ones, they had to build a lot of seats quickly and so bespoke work uh, they didn't like uh, so much it was much easier for them to either deliver an off-the-shelf business class seat or an off-the-shelf business class seat with with some changes for the airlines brand but look it's worked out okay um, for some airlines there's that new American Airlines uh, business class seat uh, after American left um, Zodiac there's nothing special about it I think uh, a lot of other airlines airlines use the same seat Americans now using it,
1: using, but it's comfortable. Now I'm thinking first class. Do they use the same companies? It's just a, you know, because of the lower volume and more unique design, it's a much more expensive endeavor or is there, do they do that? In yeah. Currently? You know, I've
0: never written a story about first class seats specifically because there's so few of them on a relative basis. I just haven't heard as much about it.
1: Well, there's a couple there. I want to do a, a lightning round of a couple questions so people can gauge where you're at on some key aviation issues. So um, you can answer these questions as briefly or or not as you would like, but it'll just be five questions. So favorite aircraft?
0: I'm I'm pausing to think about it for a moment. You know, I would say uh the 787. You know, I, this may sound like bullshit, but uh for, for for a couple years there I was flying a lot, more than I ever thought possible. And um generally I'm not somebody who buys the marketing, but I felt better when I flew the 78 than other airplanes. And um, I'm going to stick with that
1: for what it's worth. I I have too because I ha- I wake up on like 777s after, you know, a long long haul and you you sleep overnight and just have such a dry throat, and I haven't had that nearly as bad on, on the 787 aircraft type. Turbulence. Scary or mild inconvenience? Mild inconvenience.
0: I, I have a hard time believing you will talk to anybody who deals with aviation uh, very often who, who finds it
1: scary, but who yeah. knows? What are your thoughts on clapping when landing?
0: Um, the last time I saw it happen was on uh, Air Europa about four years ago. You know, I think it's interesting, right? Because because every region of the world, every culture has its different way of flying. And, you know, I'm one of these very weird people um, that gets excited when I realize that I'm flying Air Europa from Madrid to Barcelona. And I want
1: that experience to be different. I don't want it to be exactly the same. And one thing that made it different uh, was clapping. Okay, fair enough. I think we kind of covered this, but best redemption you've made?
0: Yeah, probably uh, most of the stuff uh, for um, for Lufthansa first class. I'm I'm generally uh, I'm getting older, and I don't like to go out of my way um, very often. Uh, so I'm not going to take three, four segments to get a certain product. Uh, if I can go nonstop, even if it's on a sub- subpar product. Uh, I'm willing
1: to do it at this point. Sure, sure. Well, just kind of wrapping up here, this is like a way more open-ended question, but I'm curious what impact travel's had on you and, and what impact do you think it, it has on the world in general? The,
0: the world question is tough, but it, it certainly has had a huge impact on me. Um, I spent most of my 20s um, as a as a failed sports writer, um, a sports journalist I had uh, as a kid. I had had two interests. One of them uh, was airplanes and the other one was sports. And I thought I was going to love being a sports writer. Uh, it turned out you really don't need to get that close to your heroes. Um, And when I made the switch uh, to aviation journalist, I just remember how much fun I had being on the ramp and how amazing I thought it all was. And it's now um, seven years later and these things should get stale. They should get old. I mean, being on the field at Major League Baseball parks got old pretty fast. And uh, I still feel that boy-like wonder um, when I'm on the ramp at LAX. I take my daughter uh, to the in and out uh, over by the airport. And uh, I love it. I mean, it, this is my career. This is something that I love to do. And, you know, I still consider myself a professional journalist. I think I, I, I view the industry through that lens. Um, but I need to be honest with myself. I don't think I could cover anything else at this point. Um, I, I, I love airlines. Uh, you know, for the world itself, uh, this would have been a more difficult question to answer um, a couple of years ago when everything was relatively normal. But now that we're in a world where people just aren't traveling uh, from country to country, really at all, uh, you start to see how much we're missing um, with travel. We don't get a chance to see and hear from 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 other cultures about other people. Uh, I mean, I, when I was traveling, often I was always very interested to see, like, you know, people talk about China or Asia or even Europe. And it's like, no, I was I was in Shanghai like three days ago. You know, the governments may have issues, but go there and people are people and food is food and it's a wonderful
1: experience that's brian summers you can find him on twitter at brian summers or on skift.com where i can confirm he is in fact a professional journalist despite the things he has done to make the most of his miles If you enjoyed the show or learned anything from it, it would be supremely awesome if you'd share it with someone who might find it interesting or rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Doing so helps other people find these episodes. As always, feel free to reach out on social with any questions or comments. Once again, I'm your host, Ian Agramis, wishing you smooth travels. Peace!